The Word of God is constant, even as generations of its preachers come and go. Today, on the Moody Church Hour, we continue the final series by its longtime pastor, Erwin Lutzer. From Chicago, this is the Moody Church Hour, a weekly service of worship and teaching with Pastor Erwin Lutzer. Today, we bring you the fifth in a six-part series of messages on the topic, Leaving a Legacy. Stay with us as Pastor Lutzer tells us to protect your family. Pastor, why is protecting our families a crucial issue for the church today? Dave, I think it's incredibly important because when you stop to think of it, God instituted the family. The family is the way in which the faith is passed along. And today we're living at a time when there are so many forces against the family wanting to separate children from their parents when it comes to education and other matters that have to do with technology. But in the studio today, I'm so glad to be able to introduce to you Pastor Philip Miller. He replaced me here at the Moody Church as senior pastor a number of years ago, and the ministry of the Moody Church Hour is going to become his ministry, and I'm so excited about that. Pastor Philip You have a family with four children, so you obviously are very interested in the whole matter of technology as it relates to children and issues concerning the family. That's true, Pastor Lutzer, and I think it's important for our listeners to know that Running to Win will still continue under your leadership, and I know everyone will be excited about that as well. I do have four kids, uh, Claire, Violet, Cora, and Jude. And they're the joy of my life. And um, as Krista and I parent them, one of the things we try to remember is that kids largely grow through imitation. It's why I am the way I am. I watched my parents. And my kids are doing the same thing. What they, what they are watching is what they're imitating. And so in many ways, we become what we behold. And this has huge implications for technology and screens and social media uh, because those things are discipling us. They're shaping who we're becoming. And so it's really important that we pay attention to these things as parents. I know this has been a heartbeat of yours for over 40 years in your ministry. It's a passion that Krista and I share. And it's a passion that's rooted in the Moody Church with D.L. Moody and his ministry to kids from the very beginning. And so now let's go to the historic Moody Church as we join in worship and hear Pastor Luther preach about protecting our families. And now, Father, thank you for your love and for your grace and for all the mercies that you have given to us so freely. We ask, O Lord God, help our minds to be riveted upon your goodness, upon your grace, and the wonder of your love. May we worship you acceptably through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask. Amen.
comes from Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting.
So how are you all doing today? Fine and dandy? We'll find out how you're doing after this sermon. My dear brothers and sisters, our children in this world are hurting. I have a friend who's in heaven today, but he worked with children, and he always asked them to fill out this sentence. If I could change my mom and dad, I would. And then they filled out the sentence. Last night I wrote down some of the things that the kids said. I wish I could reproduce their handwriting because the misspelled words and everything were a part of what he received. One said, I would ask them to love me. I'd ask my dad to read the Bible and pray with me. Sometimes I wish I'd get real sick so that they would hug me and pay attention to me. I wish they'd listen to what I say. It might be important. My father doesn't talk to me at all. I'd like them to listen to me as if I were worth something. I wish that they'd explain things before they begin shouting and yelling. Another says not to hit us, but to give us a second chance. One another said not to argue so much, and I wish my dad would quit drinking and my mom is mad all the time. I wish they'd stop fighting because I get, and there are four berries in this sentence because I get very, 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 very hurt. I wish that they'd get back together. You'd be surprised at the number of children whose parents were divorced who said, I wish mom and dad would get back together. Our children are hurting. You know, I frequently say as a preacher, you know, this message that I'm going to preach is the most important I've ever preached. I suppose I've said that every time, because every message, I guess, is important. But I do have to say that this one probably is among the top ten. Because if we lose our homes, we lose everything. We lose the next generation. Protecting our home is of primary importance. Listen, and teenagers... I have some words for you. Much of what I'm going to say is directed toward the parents, but if you listen, I'll give you some stuff that you ought to write down and take with you to college or wherever you go. You know, there are two passages of Scripture I want us to look at today that kind of frame where we are going. Two passages of Scripture. First Peter, I'm beginning actually in chapter 1 where it says in verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, so also be you holy in conduct. For it is written, God is speaking, Be holy, for I am holy. We think, oh, well, you know, under grace, it doesn't matter how we live. Oh, yeah? Peter goes on to say, you ought to pass the time of your sojourning here with fear, knowing God. The other passage is taken from 1 Peter, also chapter 2, and um, I'm just going to pick it up at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war 
against your soul. Have you felt that war? I know I have. Probably you have too. First of all, two commands, be holy, abstain from fleshly passions which wage war against your soul. Today I'd like to talk about passive parents, parents who are accomplices to great theft that takes place in their home. You know, if there were a monster that were running around uh, the neighborhood, you know, we'd bar the doors, we'd have extra police patrols. But there is a monster that is loose whom we invite into our homes. And this monster steals the hearts and the minds of our children and says, Parents, you clothe them, you feed them, you pay their tuition in college, but we get their heart. The monster, of course, is the monster of technology. I'm speaking about iPads, iPhones, computers, all of those things, television sets. We're talking about technology. We think, for example, of the power of movies, the addictive power of movies. You have to understand that when it comes to sexuality, sexual addictions of any kind are the most natural of all addictions. For example, all the other addictions, you need to acquire a taste or a desire for them. I was brought up in a home where there was no drinking. My parents had the idea that if you don't touch alcohol, you'll never become an alcoholic. I actually think that that's some pretty good advice that comes from parents. Some of you didn't have parents who were quite that wise. But that means I can walk through a store and see all of these bottles of different kinds of alcohol whose names I could never possibly pronounce. And there's nothing within me that says, oh, oh, this is a great temptation because I've not acquired a taste for it. But when it comes to sexuality, we are sexual creatures from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. And all of us at times, to quote the words of someone else, have been cauldrons of boiling desire. We've all experienced that. So sexual addictions are the most natural of all addictions because they play on who we are and who we were created to be. So you have movies, you have the internet. I'll not even give you the number of the percentage of teenagers that tune into the internet and tune into the pornographic side. And then you have social websites. You know, what a world this has created. One day, Rebecca and I were on top of a mountain in Austria. We were actually at a place which was a hideout of Adolf Hitler, where we go often when I lead tours to the sites of the Reformation. We take in some World War II sites, and here's this couple, you know, they're holding hands, and they're older, and I pick up a conversation with them. They say, yeah, we were childhood sweethearts. We all married, both of us married. But we met on Facebook, and so we divorced our mates, and now we're on our honeymoon. That's happened tens of thousands of times. And then you have all these predators. You have video games. Many of them, I'm sure, are fine, but many of them lead deeply into the occult and into violence that I won't even describe. Many years ago, Pastor Steve Mason and I, from the church here, we visited a family that was desperate because their teenager was into such video games that clearly he had picked up some 
evil spirits along the way. When we were there, he couldn't even sit down. He was so agitated. He had to get up and walk around. And the parents, you know, let him. Well, he's just playing video games. Oh, really? Let me talk to you plainly. That's always something I've wanted to do. I never want people to leave a church and say, now, what did he really believe? You slept well last night. I hope you did. I slept pretty well as as well. While you were sleeping, there were people with tons of money who are well organized, who are trying to figure out new ways to seduce your child and get him into technology. What they are after is addicts. Hefner has always been after addicts. You cannot build this great pornographic empire without addicts. The minute your child was born, he was trying to figure out new ways to get him into that industry. And it used to be that the boys and girls would enter it in the age of 15. Now it's 11, 9. What a world in which we live. And here we are, oftentimes asleep. And parents say this, and I, my heart goes out to parents because it isn't always the parents' fault when a kid rebels, but I've heard parents say like this, how did this happen to us? How did it happen that our son is on drugs? How did it happen that, um, you know, our daughter, I mean, our little precious girl, I mean, she's pregnant. Uh, you know, why is it that we can't get our daughters to, to buy anything except the most skimpy clothes Why is it that our son always runs around with those who are into alcohol and and other things? We raise them better than that. What you want to do is to look into their eyes with brokenness and compassion and tears and say, you didn't raise your children. MTV raised your children. You paid the bills. You bought them the clothes. You gave them the the food. You paid their way. But the television raised your children. So the question is, um, where do these thieves, these monsters, look? Uh, Or lurk, I should say. Well, in our homes. I read a statistic that said 70% of parents don't know what their kids are watching. Oh, but our kids are good kids. I'll deal with that later. Really? Your kids are good kids. Come up to me later. I want a picture with you. I want want you to take a selfie because I, I want to put it on my wall and say, this couple has good kids. Schools, sexualization of children, very important to break down all barriers between male and female and other barriers as well. Even the natural inclinations have to be broken down. The reason for this, I've preached on this before, are are many, but it is very, very important that decency be rewritten and revised so that it isn't what it used to be. Incredibly important. Libraries with unfiltered computers. Friends. Now, uh, teenagers and young people, I told you I was going to give something in this message for you. Here it comes. I want you to remember this. I want this to lurk in your mind as if it were Velcro. 
Are you ready? All right, here it goes. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. You go to college and within three months, the, the, the friends that you choose are going to determine who you're going to turn out to be. And so what happens is sometimes, of course, there's deception. You know, well, she spent the night at the neighbor's house and that's where she got introduced to who knows what. Parents, don't be paranoid. But please do not be naive or think that because the family is so nice, everything that goes on in that home, especially among the kids, is going to be nice. We can be nice, but we are also depraved. I have a friend who, when his child was born, and I think I did this too, looked in the crib and saw this sweet little girl and said, Here is the sweetest, totally, completely depraved little girl I've ever seen. <laughs> Nobody's laughing. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe I said something I shouldn't. What does the text say? It says, Be holy and abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And you and I have felt that war against the soul. What do we do? What do we do? Well, prepare your own life. Prepare yourself, because if you're going to wage this war, you'd better be successful and at least be winning some battles in this war, unless you simply collapse and uh, no longer fight this battle. Look at in the uh, passage of Scripture I read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Let me begin verse 9. It says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation— a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know what is true in the New Testament? Is that um, whatever God asks us to do, this is critical, is based on what Jesus has already done for us. God never says, okay, be holy. Do your best at being holy. Take a run at it. Try it. He doesn't say that unless he says, I paved the way. You are chosen. You are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now live as a child of light. Receive resources from God so that you might be able to live out who you really are in God's matchless presence. And so you prepare your own life through the word through a church attendance, absolutely, but also become part of a small group. Attend our family ministries class with all of its resources and really remember who your true enemy is. You're not fighting those teenagers. Listen to what the text says, and I'm in First Peter again. Chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Behind technology stands Satan who says, This territory is mine. These addictions belong to me, and I will fight for every single inch. We are in an incredible battle. 
So you have to prepare yourself as a parent or as parents, plural, hopefully, because you are up against an enemy, and unless you and I realize the depth of the battle, we are naively going to turn the other way, like many parents do, blinded, deliberate blindness, by the way, deliberate blindness, turning away and pretending that if I don't know what they are doing, I hope everything turns out okay. Prepare your own life. Prepare the life of your child. Prepare the life of your child. Now, I've said this many times because throughout the years I've preached on the family, so you're going to hear it again, but we never hear it too often. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. It isn't just simply, well, here are the rules. Yeah, here are the rules, but we have to talk as families. We have to discuss things. We have to We have to strategize together. And if you catch your child doing something that you don't want him or her to do, don't shame them. You shame them, the only thing is what they will do next time is hide it better. They are angry because they got caught. What you do is, instead of this antagonism, if you can pull this off, and I know that oftentimes it's difficult, But if you can do this to have such a relationship with the child that it isn't parent against child, we're the ones who are telling you what to do, but rather parents coming along, taking the arm of a child and saying, we're going to walk with you together through all the minefields. And God knows that there are plenty of minefields, not just in the realm of technology, but other realms as well. And we as parents are going to be there for you. Role play certain issues and say, now if you're in school and this comes up, this is the way in which you should handle it. Illustrate to your children the kind of tenacity and the kind of strength and encouragement that they will need to stand against a culture that has lost its way. And you as a parent can't stand there pretending that you are totally free from it either. Share your own story, your own story of struggle. Help your kids to understand that you too are part of this world of technology and temptation and seductiveness, and that none of us can escape it completely, unless, of course, we do what some people think they should, namely go back and uh, buy some acreage in a remote part of the world and uh, live there. So prepare your own life. Prepare the life of your children. Develop a strategy, if you can, especially together with children. Every computer has a filter. Every computer in the home is a filter, and the computer is in the kitchen area or the living room or somewhere. Now, parents, I know that, hey, I'm stepping on toes here, but, you know, it really doesn't matter at this point, does it? (laughs) There comes a point where it just doesn't matter anymore. No TV, iPad, cell phone, or whatever in the bedroom, period. (laughs) Period. It's a rule. 
No child should have unrestricted rights to privacy. Oh, you know, you can't come into my room. Oh, yeah, I can. Oh, but your child says, oh, but you don't trust me. The answer is, of course I don't trust you. Of course I don't trust you. I don't trust myself. Why should I trust you? We're talking here about human fallenness. We're talking about our greatest temptation. We're talking about natural addictions. Parents, wake up. I taught in a seminary, taught preaching in a seminary years ago, and uh, there was a student there who told me his story. He was brought up in a fine Christian home, you know, and all that. They allowed him to have uh, cable TV in his bedroom. Of course we trust him. I mean, come on. When did the boat arrive that you came into reality? What bubble do you live in? What illusion is it that you've decided to believe? Of course he got into pornography, and he told me about the huge struggle to get out of that. Oh, we trust him. I don't get it. Model behavior. What you watch, and if something comes up that is risque or whatever, help your kids to find the lie. Because remember, all of television, I shouldn't say all, but I'm talking about all the sitcoms, all the other things, they're all based on lies. They want to ridicule various lifestyles. And by the way, It seems to me that there's a tremendous amount of violence on television today, and then we wonder why it is that uh, things happen the way they do. I was going to mention earlier that there is someone in our church who's a member here who was at one time a gangbanger. And I said to him, help me understand why you have all these shootings, why it is that sometimes randomly, and (laughs) we had examples this week in Chicago, He said, they have music that is so violent, violent music with the most horrendous and evil lyrics. And he says, you combine that with drugs, and you find many of these kids that are running around, they're just so zoned out. They don't care what they do or who they do it to. And this reminds me of the fact that there's no way that we can take care of the problems of this city without taking care of the problems within the home. Because the home is the crucible where these children are being raised, where there are values. And so we must remember that. And we have to model model the kind of behavior we want our children to have. So that's right. You develop a strategy. If you can develop it together. You say, well, you know, my, our kids have a TV in the bedroom. And if we were to take it out, it would be the beginning of World War III. Well, here's an idea. Tell the kid, look, we're going to get rid of it. We're going to sell it at the highest possible price we can. And you get all the money. Maybe that'll work. I don't know. Last night in a book, I read a story about a man who had um, two girls, they were about uh, 11 and 12, 13, early teens, and uh, they wanted a trampoline, the idea of jumping really high and enjoying it. And he said, look, I'll make a deal with you. 
I'll buy you the trampoline if you don't watch television for a whole year. He said those kids spent all night arguing back and forth. They wrote the pros and the cons, and they were discussing it. Yes, we can't do without TV. Yes, we can. But just think of the joy of being able to jump so freely in the backyard. They finally decided in favor of the trampoline. You know what? The family got together. They began to do things together. They began to talk. Maybe those were in the days when you could actually talk and not have to text. I don't know. But then he said, it's been three years and the kids have never wanted TV again. They have no idea what they are missing. They're doing very well. Thank you very, very much. Ask God for wisdom as to how to resolve situations that are already far down the river. Number four, get help from others. Get help from others. I, um, I happen to have a book or two that has just been excellent. One of them I gave away. I couldn't find. <laughs> but, um, you know, go to a family class. I'm sure that they have all kinds of resources. There are websites dedicated to help parents. Take advantage of every opportunity that you have to be able to learn whatever it is that you need to learn. And if you're a single parent, if possible, help ask the church or your community to, to come alongside of you to fill the gaps. You dear single parents, my heart goes out to you. Because your task is much more difficult, but it is not impossible. It's difficult, but not impossible. All kinds of fine children have been raised by single parents, and you must recognize that, and you must trust God for that, because it all isn't lost. Last, keep praying, trusting, believing. God is on your side. It's not as if God stands back and simply says, well, you know, uh, they got themselves into this predicament. They hopped into the deep end of the swimming pool, and uh, I'm not going to get them out. Listen, God is there to help you. God is there to help you raise your children. And if God before us, who can be against us? You say, well, technology is so strong. If you knew how our kids were into the computer and into this and into that, yeah. God has his ways of weaning us even from that which captivates us. So don't give up. Don't give up. What we need to understand is this, that if we believe in Jesus Christ and we get to know God personally, there's a verse of Scripture I absolutely love that I'm going to pick out of 1 Peter here. Last night I read the whole book of 1 Peter to myself, just five chapters, but I love this verse. Chapter 1, verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action. That's what we're doing here. Prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is hope in Jesus for forgiveness, for cleansing, for deliverance, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. It begins by receiving Christ as Savior. 
This past week I read the story of the conversion of a famous pastor who lived in a different generation. But he said this, that his conversion was based on the fact that he now understood that there is a difference between historical faith, where you have the intellectual facts about Jesus, and the personal saving faith when you receive Christ as Savior and you become a child of God. And there is a big difference. Some of you to whom I'm speaking, you have a historical faith, but you're not setting your hope and your mind on Jesus Christ and the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Your mind is somewhere else. I began this message by talking about children who filled in sentences. If I could change my mom and dad, there was one I didn't read to you, which says, I wish my mom and dad were just not half Christians. There isn't really a half-Christian, because if you have been redeemed, you have a new nature with new desires, and you need to receive Christ as Savior. One story, and then I shall be finished today. Rebecca and I know a couple who told us this story. They had a teenage boy who was into video games, and they were concerned because his grades were falling and all, but he kept saying, oh, no, no, I'm doing my homework. They suspected he was lying, but, uh, you know, he's one of these really good Christian boys. So what they did is, when they left one day, they put up a security camera to watch his computer. They come back. Did you do your homework? Oh, yeah, I was working on my homework the whole time. All right, well, let's check the camera. Well, of course, as you might already guess, he was at his computer playing a video game the whole time. When he saw what he did and saw the camera and the fact that he'd been outed, he began to cry and to weep and to say, Mom and Dad, I'm addicted. I'm addicted. I'm addicted. I don't know how to get out of this. So, among other things, they decided to take his computer away from him completely because he needs to detox. I mean, you know, because you develop this huge appetite and you just don't think that you can do without fulfilling the appetite. I mean, it's like a tiger with a piece of meat. You give him meat and you say, well, he should be satisfied, but he turns stronger than ever. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because it has a happy ending. After seriously dealing with this and as parents dealing with this and over a period of time, that student went off to college and began to help other students get out of their computer addictions. God is stronger than technology. Could we give God a hand on that one? If God be for us, who can be against us? Not even MTV, especially if you shut it off. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, would you help us to protect our homes, Lord? Our young people are having their hearts stolen. The monster has come into our bedrooms, into our living rooms, and he is there dictating what to watch next. We ask, O Lord Jesus, that as we think of the future generations, help us to love our children, to extend them grace and mercy, and help them to understand that we're walking the same path they are. 
We put our arms around them and say, let's walk down this path together with hope and healing and accountability that we might be holy as you are holy. And by divine grace, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. On today's Moody Church Hour, Pastor Erwin Lutzer brought the fifth of six messages on leaving a legacy. Each of us was admonished to protect your family. On these special broadcasts, we're hearing Pastor Lutzer's final series as the senior pastor of the Moody Church. He's covering the crucial issues that represent his ministry and the challenges that lie ahead. Next week, join us as Pastor Lutzer tells us to keep eternity in mind. This 2016 Capstone series can be yours as a book, which includes the sermon transcripts and study guide, or as a six-part CD series. Either is waiting for you is our way of saying thanks for your gift of any amount to the Moody Church Hour. Just call us at one 800 215-5001. Ask about leaving a legacy when you call 1-800-215-5001. Or you can write to us at Moody Church Media, 1635 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60614. Online, go to moodyoffer.com. That's moodyoffer.com. For many decades, the Moody Church Hour has aired each week with messages from the senior pastor of the Moody Church. Since becoming Pastor Emeritus in 2016, Pastor Lutzer continues to write and speak, as well as broadcast on the daily program, Running to Win. Plan to be listening February 18, when Pastor Lutzer introduces the new senior pastor of Moody Church as the next teacher on this weekly program. Join us next week for another Moody Church Hour with the Congregation of Historic Moody Church in Chicago. This broadcast is a ministry of the Moody Church.